Amen. Well, if you would join me now in taking your copy of God's Word, as we have been reminding ourselves here the past couple weeks that God's Word is indeed the source and storehouse of all true and saving knowledge of our triumph God. And we'll turn together to our passage for this week, and we trust this passage is part of our spiritual diet for this week as well. And we find it in Acts 4, verses 32 through 37. So Acts 4, 32 through 37. As we have been uh, looking at and seeing uh, here along the way, uh, the early church has now come to the point where it's facing trials and tribulations. And it's trials and tribulations of an antichrist nature, of, of, of words against Christ and the church, of, of deeds against Christ and the church. And as we saw last week in our passage, that as Peter and John uh, face this, and then they come back to their to their church, to their church family and friends, and they report what happened at the temple, report about what the temple officials had commanded them to do, to no longer preach and teach in the name of Jesus Christ. The early church prayed. They did not pray for deliverance. They did not pray that God would make the bad men be good men. What did they pray for? They prayed for boldness. They knew these, these, these religious leaders, some who had been, been involved with crucifying Jesus, they knew they were going to be on them, that they were in their bullseye. And they prayed for boldness, for that gospel boldness in the face of these trials and tribulations. And this morning as we come to our passage, we'll see it, we're shown an aspect of what gospel boldness will lead to. When we pray for gospel boldness, when we, when we exhibit it, when we live, live it out, when our mind and heart's desire is to be bold in our faith and to be bold in our love for Jesus, to be bold in ministering and sharing the gospel, we find what this boldness will lead to. And so with that in mind, let me pray for our time together now as we come before God's word. Lord, through your spirit, open our hearts and minds. So we may both hear and believe your word. And in this we may receive and rest upon Christ as he's offered to us here in our passage of Acts 4. Do this, O Lord, for your glory. We pray this in the glory of the name of the incarnate God, Jesus Christ. Amen. Our passage, of course, is Acts 4, 32 through 37. We'll stand together now for the reading of God's word. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. We're told that the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Amen. Maybe seated. When I was doing my undergraduate studies at Winthrop University uh, last century, in the past century, 
those of, you, those of you who were in that college during the last century as well, remember, may remember, uh, around campus, at least in like this at Winthrop, around campus were, were numerous bulletin boards. And on those bulletin boards, any student group could put information up there. Uh, so, uh, for example, you go by and see a flyer that, that RUF is meeting on Tuesday nights at 8 p.m. in the upper room at Deacon Student Center. Our advertisement for, for SCA, our or, or the chess club, or if a student is trying to sell books, right? It's just a, it was an advertisement, a bulletin board for you to, to advertise uh, things that were going on, things that maybe were needed. And I, I can't remember exactly when, but at some point during my, my time there, I was walking by one of those bulletin boards one day, and, and a flyer caught my attention. Uh, because on it was a, was a picture of a statue of Jesus from a cemetery. And the statue of Jesus had his right had his right hand uh, raised. And somebody had drawn a sickle into his right hand, the, 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 the communist sickle we, we think of. So there's a picture of a statue of Jesus from the cemetery, his, his right hand raised with a communist sickle in it. And the flyer says, if you like Christianity, then you'll love socialism. Socialist club meets at Thursdays at 8 p.m. at, at somewhere on campus. And then underneath it all was written Acts 4, 32-37, our, our very same passage we read this morning. So I, I will admit that when I saw that, I thought, this is fascinating. So I took the, I took the flyer down, and I took it back with me to my dorm room. And I, and I took out my Bible, and I read this passage. Because I was relatively new to the faith, and I want to know, huh, if I'm a Christian, should I also be a socialist? Now, if we were to read this passage and take it out of context, like I've seen on, on, on coffee mugs and, and a saying I've seen on coffee mugs and t-shirts recently, it says, I can do all things through a Bible verse taken out of context, right? a satiric take on Philippians 4.13. But there's some truth to it. If we were to take this passage out of this biblical context, then it could very well seem that what Luke is saying here is that pure and authentic Christianity is also socialism. That to have a, a bold and authentic faith in Christ, we are also required to take on this political ideology that aims to make all people equal in terms of equality of wealth. That everybody should have the same amount of wealth because that's Christianity. Because that's what Christ meant for the church. And so that if, if, follow with me for a moment on that. If that's what this is teaching, then that has effects on Christian ethics. And so then in Christian ethics, it would say it doesn't matter how hard you work. It doesn't matter how little you work. It matters nothing about work ethic. What matters is that everyone should get the same amount of wealth. So working for the glory of God no longer matters. All that matters is equality at all costs. Now, is that what Luke means here in this passage? It is socialism a part of this pure and authentic Christianity? Well, when we look at this passage when it's con- within its context in the book of Acts and within the context of the Bible, the answer is very short, it's very simple, it's very direct. No. This is, this is not what this passage is teaching. Because that would run counter to passages such as 2 Thessalonians 3.10. If a man isn't willing to work, 
then let him not eat. Put that in our current context, our current social context. If a man is not willing to work, then he should not be able to eat. 1 Corinthians 10.31 Whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. God cares very much about our work ethic. And he cares very much about our work ethic showing forth his glory. So what Luke is describing here isn't a political ideology. What he's describing here is the family of God and the priorities of the family of God. That this is what is important in the family of God and to the family of God. So when our heart and mind's desire is to be bold and our faith and love for Jesus to be bold and ministering and sharing the gospel, then Luke says that will shape our priorities. It will shape the priorities of the family of God. So it's not political ideology, but it's living out what we believe. Now, I don't know how it goes at your home, but at our home, it's very much a philosophy of what is mine is yours. So once something enters into our house, for the most part, there's fair game for all if you like it or not. So for example, uh, Beth has a certain kind of chocolate chip cookie that she really likes. I think she gets it from Food Line, the deli there. And she very quickly learned that if she just brought the cookies in and put them on the counter, there's a very good chance she would not be able to enjoy them because the other four of us would plow through them. So what she does now is when she goes, she buys them. She hides them in her van. She waits until nobody's paying attention. She sneaks them in, and she has a hiding place that I have yet to figure out where it is. And we never know when she has those cookies unless we catch her eating the cookie. Right, so welcome, welcome to life in McMahon's house. I'll eat a, a, every, every man for himself. But that's the philosophy of uh, uh, that's the philosophy at work here. What's the priority? And the family of God, what is mine is yours. We've already seen that the early Christians very much saw each other as family in the faith. We see that at the end of Acts 2, where we're given this, this big picture view of the church, and we saw how they would gather together for fellowship. They, they treat each other like family. And we, we saw it with Peter and John when they were released. The first thing they did is they went to their, their church family because the church was their family. And that, of course, fits in with the rest of the scripture that describes the church as a family. That's the biblical understanding of the church. This is a, we're not just a church. We're a family. We're a family bound together in, in, in the blood of Christ. And this family, as we see here in Luke, and we see in, uh, in all of scripture, is a family that's consumed by one thing, and that's Jesus Christ. The, the, the family of God, their, their top priority, their desire, their passion, their goal is Jesus Christ and his gospel. As we see here in Acts, everything they, they thought and they did was in order to magnify their Savior and Lord. When they were facing trials and tribulations, they prayed, Lord, give us more boldness so we can continue to boldly love you and live for you and, and share your gospel. For them, it was always all about Jesus in all things. The family of God 
top priority, main priority, really we could say the only priority is Jesus Christ and the glory of his gospel. And Luke says here that because they prayed for this and they were consumed by Jesus and his glory, that there is a threefold blessing that came upon the early church. They were of one heart and soul. They were collectively together. They enjoyed each other. Their, their minds were being shaped by God's word and they were moving in the same direction. And they gave testimony with great power to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. They were telling everybody about the gospel. And they said they had everything in common. They were blessed by God because they saw and treated Jesus as their greatest blessing. God had answered their prayers for boldness. And in this, they had this threefold blessing. But I want you to notice that this boldness of Christ and this, this blessing wasn't just in word, but in deed. They said they were together. They were bold in, in, in sharing the gospel, but they also loved and took care of each other. They were bold in how they loved and took care of each other. They were, they were conscious of the needs in the church, and whenever they saw a need, they wanted to immediately take care of it. And I want you to notice how conscious and, and bold they were about these needs. Luke tells us that if they, they saw a need, the members of the church would voluntarily, right, they weren't coerced, they would voluntarily sell land, sell property, sell homes, and entrust the proceeds to the apostles to distribute for those needs. And he gives us the example of Joseph Barnabas. They were so bold, they would say, look, I have an extra home I'm not doing anything with. I'm going to sell it and give it to the church so they can help our other members in need. I've got this piece of land that we're not going to do anything with. I'm going to sell it so I can help out those in my church. And their giving was proportional to the need. It was voluntary, not compulsory. They wanted to do it. They wanted to care for others. They weren't forced to do it. And this was because they were consumed for Jesus. And being consumed for Jesus, they would remember and that the covenant of grace that God made with his people, Israel, he obeyed, or God commanded Israel to care for the poor. We go back to Deuteronomy 15. The church in the Old Testament, God's in the Old Testament. God tells them, you need to take care of the poor amongst you. And so they're being consumed by Jesus. They're, they're just doing what they've been commanded to do. They're being obedient to their God. It was a bold love and care of the family of God. It was their top priority as the family of God is how they showed the love and care of God. And it's important for us to note that this is a, a love and a care that wasn't born of themselves but of God. When they remembered the covenant of grace and Deuteronomy 15 to take care of the poor, they said, this is from God. And we want to do this. When they remembered the love and care of God and Jesus Christ, the Lord and Savior, they said, we want to walk in his footsteps. When they remembered their own personal accounts of how God had showered them with his love and care, they said, we want to be like our God. We want to do the same for others. All they were doing 
was trying to be like their God. Not in a blasphemous sense, but in an obedient follower sense. Now, of course, the greatest example of love and care they could think of is what we will remember here together in a few moments at this table and supper, and that's Jesus Christ. Last weekend being Memorial Day weekend, we many of us heard that the, the Bible verse, there's no greater love than to lay down your life for your friends. And Jesus calls each of us his friend and lay down his life for us. And God so loved you and me that he gave his only begotten son. And God showed his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So to truly know the love and care of God for us to emulate it, we must remember who this table points us to. That to know the love and care of God, we must first know it through faith in Jesus Christ. To truly have the love and care of God as our family priority, then we must together come to this table in faith and feast on the goodness of God and Christ. For us to be consumed, as the early church was to be consumed by Jesus, that we would love and care in this way, we must be consumed by what this table ministers to us. Jesus' body broken for our sins. Jesus' blood spilt for our sins. Jesus on the cross for our salvation and for our growth in Him. The only way we can get our priorities right in faith and in life and as the family of God is to be consumed by Jesus. To want to know nothing else but Jesus Christ. To want to love no one else as much as we love Jesus. To want to follow no one else like we follow Jesus. Think of it this way. God was so consumed by his love for you. That before time began, he made a covenant. Where the father said, I'm going to send my only begotten son. To suffer in the most inhumane way. And to take upon my wrath to save my people. And the son said, Father, I am so consumed by the love of our people, I voluntarily go to do this. And the Holy Spirit says, I so am consumed by the love of our people that I voluntarily will go and live within their hearts to minister to them this truth. See, the early church knew how consumed by love God was for them. They knew it because of the cross. And for us to be consumed by this love, it must too know the cross and who is on it and why he was on it. And that will set our party straight in faith and life and as a family of God. So let us now prepare to come to this table together so we may be consumed by Jesus and our faith in life to have our priorities right. Let's pray together.